0: Hello friends, my name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And as we stand at the end of the month of February, I'm reminded yet again by how much has changed in our lives and in our world in the last year. The level of output is up and to the right for so many of us as we juggle more and more to stay on top of more and more. I mean complexity in the workplace as we figure things out like remote team meetings, reduced staff, new protocols. There's more difficulty with respect to childcare, kids are at home more, you're trying to get things done you you used to do while they were in school. Some of you are nurses, but you didn't sign up or go into nursing to manage or be a part of COVID wards. Some of you are retail workers and you go into your place of employment under the complex set of conditions brought on by a global pandemic. Some of you are in sales and your level of effort needed to make up the same amount of money has gone up and up. And even simple things in our lives take more effort. Now I have to worry about whether I'm going the right way down the aisle at the grocery store, or it's more complex to think about how to thank people, or how to keep in touch with aging loved ones, or how we move into a new home when friends can't come and help you pack up your stuff. And the list of things that's changed, big and small, goes on and on. And amidst all of that, many of us are working harder than ever emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And even though we're working harder than ever, sometimes it feels like we're just barely keeping our heads above water and it can get frankly very tiring. And when we're faced with more challenges, which certainly as individuals and as a church family we have been this past year, I know what my response generally is. See, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and business people, and as challenges mounted, the response was always the same, dial up the work ethic. I have in me some good old fashioned prairie boy Protestant work ethic very very deep in my bones. And so when things get harder, my immediate visceral response is, I can do this, I just need to work harder. And so I will dial up my level of output to meet any new presenting challenge. And certainly there is a time and place for that kind of response. And I've seen many of you do that and just rise to Herculean challenges over this past year. But there's also a shadow side to this response. And the danger comes when my internal messaging system begins to tell me that I have to continue output, and I have to be productive in order to be valuable, that my worth is somehow connected to my work output. And I know for me, this can lead to being consumed with a bunch of shoulds and oughts, and for me to feel like I'm not doing enough even when I dial up and up the output. And if you find yourself in this situation, it's just time to acknowledge that life pre-COVID was stressful, but life during COVID under those types of conditions can be downright exhausting. But what if I told you that there was an antidote for this kind of unhealthy work-life imbalance? It's not a quick fix remedy per se, but it's a rhythm of life that, if you put it into practice, can help all of us who feel tired and worn out. This rhythm of life is an ancient one and it's as vital for today's high tech, high stress world as it has ever been. See, we're in a teaching and exploration series on Sundays here at Jericho in which we're unearthing and we're putting on the table a few pivotal spiritual practices. That can help you and I establish health in all aspects of our lives. So we talked two weeks ago about developing a rhythm of fasting and so if we were in person I'd pause and I'd ask you so how you're doing with experimenting with that maybe during this season of Lent but you know we're not in person because of COVID. And then last week, Meg and I talked about the rhythm and the discipline that it takes to belong and lean into life in Christian community, which is harder during a season like we're in. And so today I want to introduce or maybe reintroduce you to a rhythm of work and rest called the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is a term which comes from an old Hebrew word, Shabbath, which means to stop, or to cease, or to rest. And a Sabbath is a 24-hour period in which you cease from paid and unpaid work in order to delight in God and in our relationships with others and with creation. And maybe some of you have traveled to Israel and you'll know that this is actually still an observance today. It begins on Friday night at sundown and continues until Saturday evening. Or uh, in our culture, Seventh-day Adventists still hold fast to the Sabbath as Saturday. And the early Christian movement in the first century picked this up, but they moved it from Saturday to Sunday because they wanted to link it in with God's act of raising Jesus from the dead and making all things new. Dallas Willard, uh, in his book, The Great Omission, talks about how the Sabbath is perhaps one of the hardest things for us to put into practice in the modern world. It's difficult to, quote, just make space and attend to what is around you. Learn that you don't have to do to be. Accept the grace of doing nothing. Stay with it until you stop jerking and squirming." See, I find myself highly uncomfortable with, and often out of practice and stumbling my way through this idea and practice of Sabbath. And yet the invitation to Sabbath rest appears in every section of the Bible. It appears 104 times in the Old Testament alone and its origin and its practice is both easy and hard to understand and to live into. But friends, it is amazingly worthwhile to try. Because the Sabbath is about so much more than a day off. It's fundamentally about ceasing our striving and remembering again that God is in control. The Sabbath is about trust as much as it is about time. And so just like we did last week in our discussion of community, we're going to trace the theme of Sabbath through the scriptures. We'll touch down in the life of Jesus and we'll talk about application for you and I in our daily lives. So I invite you to join me on this journey of unlocking the power and the potential of the gift that is the Sabbath. So perhaps the most familiar occurrence of Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments, but we're going to start in the book of Genesis, because we see in the creation account an important principle around rhythms of work and rest. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God is working, God is creating, and then at the start of chapter 2, the author says in Genesis 2, verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished God's work of creation. And so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. So from the very start, a rhythm of working and resting, working and resting is modeled for us by God, who, think about this, has all power, all knowledge, all capacity. God doesn't need to Sabbath. So Sabbath cannot be about simply unplugging so that we can recharge and get out there and get back at it again, because God really has no need for that. So what's up with God taking a quote-unquote day off to rest when God doesn't need to rest? Here's the intriguing thing to think about if you follow the plot line of Genesis 1 and 2. Immediately prior to this, humanity was created on the sixth day of creation. And so the very first thing that human beings experience is actually God at rest. This is one of the reasons why Sabbath is oriented to begin on the first day of the week. This notion that we work out of a place of restedness, not vice versa, where we somehow stumble across the finish line of a week and collapse in exhaustion. If we think about it that way, it's a reminder here for us that Sabbath rest is not something that you and I earn. It's a gift that you receive from a loving and gracious God who modeled this for us in the very act of creation. See, sometimes we think about rest as a reward for our hard work, but in the original pattern of things, humanity rested first and then began our vocational and human work out of the outflow of this day of rest with God. So our next snapshot, of the Sabbath uh, comes with the ancient people of Israel. After they're liberated from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they receive from God patterns of life together in the form of laws, including the Ten Commandments. And commandment number four is the one with, actually the most commentary of any of them. Listen to how it reads in Exodus chapter 20, verses eight and following. Remember, to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. That includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Remember, this is written to a group of people who have just been liberated from slavery. And slaves are defined by what they produce. And so this is a group with a deeply unhealthy and a distorted relationship with work. But now they've been liberated, and there's this internal mental and emotional and spiritual work to be done to actually get them to the place where they can de-link the notion of productivity from their value or worth as a human being. To move them, God needs to move them from valuing production to valuing presence and relationship. So it's like God is saying to them, listen, I want you to live out of a place of right relationships with me. And that means you need to rest. You need to set aside time in the rhythm of each week where you deprioritize production and you practice being present because this is going to help remind you that you are loved and that you are valuable to me not because of what you produce but because of who you are and whose you are and so the sabbath day becomes a day for worship and engagement with god in that way because the invitation of the sabbath is for us to be present with god and with others in our lives in rich and meaningful ways and also present with yourself and with your needs and your limitations. And frankly, this is hard for us to do in the push and the pull of modern schedules. Because many of us live and work in industries and professions where 24 seven has become the norm. Where you feel like you are always on call, you're always preparing the next lesson, you're always responding to clients, you're always caring for kids. But there's actually something profound that happens to us when we begin to step into and practice Sabbath keeping. I want you to hear a story from my friend Joel in his own words. Joel's in an industry where your income is directly linked to your output, and so it's a very hard one to set any boundaries in place with respect to breaks or downtime of any kind. But several years back, Joel attempted an experiment in Sabbath keeping, and well, I'll let him tell it in his own words. Well, thanks, Joel. I appreciate you sharing your journey with us and being authentic about how you still struggle with Sabbath-keeping. I find this, uh, for me as well, this is one of the hardest Ten Commandments to keep. And one of the things that struck me uh, about Joel's story is about how practicing Sabbath actually reshapes our identity. Remembering the Sabbath. Keeping it holy actually helps us break off an idolatrous relationship with work, because the Sabbath reminds us that we are more than what we produce. I love what author and pastor Rich Valotis says in his new book, The Deeply Formed Life, quote, Sabbath is an invitation to a life that isn't dominated or distorted by overwork. We keep Sabbath, not because it makes us more productive at work, but to resist the idol of productivity. We are more than what we produce," End quote. See, the Sabbath reshapes our identity because it reminds you that you are more than your job title. But as with any good gift, We as humans have a wondrous capacity to distort and manipulate it, and we completely see this happen with the concept of Sabbath. It creeps slowly from a gift to be enjoyed uh, through the Old Testament to a time when we enter the period after the Old Testament closes and before the New Testament opens, the Sabbath has become a set of rigid, legalistic structures that are to be adhered to at all costs. Jewish rabbinical literature developed 39 categories of items that constituted work. And then there was a longer and longer list that grew all the time. And as new technologies got added, the legalism around Sabbath keeping grew. And so if you're a modern Jew, for example, you cannot operate an elevator or you cannot live stream a religious service on the Sabbath because that would be work. And to some of you, that kind of legalism might actually sound familiar because it might mirror your own negative experiences with the Sabbath. You might have grown up in a setting that was religious and where there were all kinds of strict rules about what could and couldn't happen on Sundays. Maybe you had to stay in your church clothes all day, or not chop on Sundays, even if your friends did or if you wanted to. And you had a lot of societal support for that because in 1906, Canada's parliament actually passed the Lord's Day Act into law. It was pushed for by Presbyterians and Methodists who were interested in creating boundaries that could help reduce the opportunities for people to fall into sin by breaking the fourth commandment. And some of you are too young to recall this, but those laws actually held sway and stores were closed one day a week until 1985 when the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And then the law was overturned. I can remember uh, at that time living in Ontario, after that ruling, the grocery store across the street from our Christian school unfurled a large banner that said, now open on Sundays. And the church responded with a larger, bigger banner that said, been open on Sunday for years. Ah, the good old culture wars. But as with all respects of our lives, as Jesus-centered people, we wanna actually look at what Christ models for us and invites us into engagement with, with respect to the Sabbath. And here we actually see a bit of a surprise. In reading the Gospel accounts, we see that Jesus travels on the Sabbath, he heals on the Sabbath, he teaches on the Sabbath, and he eats on the Sabbath, all of which was frowned upon by the religious people and leadership of his days. And in doing this, Jesus is working to help both his disciples and his critics and also us to see the architecture that undergirds the Sabbath again and dust off all of those rules and legalism on top of it. And with many things, Jesus wants to help us understand that Sabbath keeping is not about getting exact regulations right. It is about getting relationship right. So look with me at Mark chapter 2 verse 23 to 28, and in Mark chapter two, Jesus has really been pushing the envelope. He's been healing people on the Sabbath. He's been calling and inviting outsiders to follow him and come into his inner circle and his family. He teaches about fasting, and then he and his disciples get into trouble over what appears to be a clear breaking of Sabbatarian laws. Look with me at Mark chapter two, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath day, As Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, "Uh, haven't you ever read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was the high priest, and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And then he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. See, in this text, Jesus establishes an important relationship with Sabbath. He clarifies it. He fulfills it, and He also redefines it without doing away with it. He helps us better understand who and what the Sabbath was made for. See, the legalistic impulse is to make and keep a set of rules Well, you can eat grain, but you can't harvest grain on the Sabbath, in this example. But Jesus wants to return to the conversation about the purpose of the day of rest. He says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. And so we have to ask, well, what what are the needs of people? What need that's shared by all of us as human beings in all time did God design this rhythm of life to meet? And the answer might likely be that laboring six days and not seven meets our need for rest. We are not robots who can go and go and go and go. Pausing for a period of time each week is a gift that is designed to serve us and to bless us. And this gift is a wonderful gift and privilege. It's a benefit. It's not a legalistic set of instructions to observe, a task to just power through, or a drudgery to endure. The Sabbath really is a frame of mind and heart that we are invited to enter into. Pastor and author Tim Keller says that, quote, the purpose of Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to do more production, nor is it the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy your God, life in general, what you have accomplished in the world through his help, and the freedom that you have in the Gospel, the freedom from slavery, to any material object or human expectation. And see friends, this is why if we just live by a list of things to avoid doing on whatever day it makes the most sense for you to Sabbath on, you might end up missing the whole point of the Sabbath because you're actually working quite hard to keep all of your human made rules. And so Jesus says the Sabbath is about learning to live freely and lightly in the midst of a world that is always pressing, pressing, pressing us to produce more and to be more and to do more. So where do we go from here? Let's get practical since this series is about rhythms of life that are really practices that we want to incorporate. What might it look like to keep the Sabbath for you? I think one aspect to keep in mind here is just the beauty of starting small. Sarah Bessie in her Field Notes newsletter this past week had a little piece where she said this, I like it, try to carve out the practice of intentional rest Once a week, one day, even one afternoon, when you radically care for your soul by stepping back from the expectations, external and internal, a day just to pull over to the side of the highway, go for a walk in the field that you're always driving by, you are allowed to take a day off from it all, to rest, to renew, to worship, to press pause. It is permissible to stop. To take a step off the merry-go-round of culture's expectations and determination to pretend everything's fine and we must be productive to be valuable, it is permissible to go to bed on time and sleep well, and to laugh at the days to come. It's okay to shut off the computer, turn your phone on silent, let the constant email pile up, forget your Facebook messages for a day or a week." End quote. See, so I love this idea of picking something, maybe it's one thing, and just starting small. Maybe for you that's just carving out an afternoon and turning your phone off. And friends, make no mistake, this is actually quite a counter-cultural choice. And be warned that as you do this, you will likely feel some resistance because inside of you, maybe like inside of me, your Protestant work ethic with a healthy dose of evangelical hero complex will raise its ugly head to make you feel uncomfortable. There will come racing into your brain a whole realm of things that remain undone. I know I feel this when I plug in my phone and turn it off on Friday night. Oh, there's just one more email that I forgot to send. Oh, I forgot to do this before Sunday. And if this is you, I want you to just notice this. I want you to name it and then gently push through it. Be kind to yourself as you work your way into this practice. And likely you're gonna have to do some experimenting until you find some things that work for you in your current stage of life and for your family. So I know for me, as a pastor, Sundays isn't a great day to Sabbath. So Saturdays has become that day for me. And on Saturdays, I try to slow down, not set my alarm and sleep in. I've taken up a new hobby that has surprised my wife doing the crossword in the Globe and Mail. We go for a walk on some days. I read, sometimes you tidy up the house a bit. I go for long runs, so Saturday just feels like it has more room to breathe. And I wanna say that Sabbath is gonna look different in each era of your life, and that's okay. For those with little kids, it's not like you can just say, hey kids, it's my break from unpaid work begins now. Feed yourselves, little mouths. I mean, when our kids were young, it was a very difficult season to Sabbath in. And so you might have to invite others and into that and make it a family experiment or exercise together. Uh, I know Pastor Jenna and Jesse have some intentional practices around Sabbath. They set aside time for board games and for fun and for connection with friends. I know people who take a digital Sabbath for one day. And so your Sabbath practices might not look like Joel's or Meg's or mine or Jenna's, but I wanna challenge you to play around with the practice a bit this week. Between now And the next time we get together, what's one step that you could take further into Sabbath rest? What's one act that you can do to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? What's one thing you could say yes to, to step into the joy and delight that God is setting out for us? Author Mark Buchanan says this in his excellent book on the topic, The Rest of God, and he reminds us that Sabbath-keeping is where we think with holy imagination about how the arc of our moments and hours and days intersects with eternity. Friends, we get to enter into a rest that God offers us, not just someday, or when COVID lifts, or when you get a week's holiday, but today, now this week, in your everyday moments of your everyday life, would you slow down and receive the beautiful and holy gift that is the Sabbath? But you have to choose to receive it and to live into it more fully.